Well, this is the last sermon of the year. I'm amazed that you're here. I'm amazed anybody's here at the, at the last sermon of the year. This is a sermon. Yeah, I'm going to the beach. I'm going someplace else. Uh, but the weather's bad. You might as well be here. But I'm glad you're here. And as we finish out the year here at Orangewood Worship, I want to share with you some things that, uh, that have been on my heart for a long time as we look into God's holy word. I'll tell you, uh, as we look back on Advent, we had a great Advent time. I, I always like the end of the year sermons. As a pastor, I like the last of the year sermon. A lot of pastors were tired and burned out from Christmas, and uh, they didn't have much to share on that last sermon of the year. But we had an Advent series where the whole staff shared it, didn't we? We did a whole series called Break In as we, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 9 and the coming of Jesus, the prophecy, 750 years before Jesus was born, uh, that he would be a wonderful counselor. I talked about that. And then Mark the Shark, Nick's, talked about uh, Mighty God. That's, I love that nickname, by the way. I'm sorry, Mark. I don't know if you're here, uh, but I love that nickname. Mark the Shark talking about Mighty God, right? I'm, I'm not a counselor. He's a counselor, but I talked about the wonderful counselor. Mark talked about Mighty God. Joe preached Everlasting Father or Eternal Father. And Chuck Berry talked about Prince of Peace. Those were dynamite messages. And I really encourage you to go back. There's some interesting things that happened in every one of those services. I encourage you to go back as we, uh, as we start a new year and look at and listen to those messages as they prepare the way for us ahead. Now, where are we going in the future? Uh, this is the end of the year sermon today. It's going to be a standalone message. But next week, we begin a new series. Our Advent series was called Break In. This one starting in January, is going to be break out, right? I went to seminary to learn how to do things like this. And we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians together as we think about the whole break out, because the reality is, is that the Son of God came in human flesh. He was the Messiah. He was a baby who grew up to be the Messiah. And in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. Everything is different. The grace of God came, and grace changes everything, of course. And and, and so what happened? Well, it, 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 it was finished. We can say that with the work of Christ, it is finished. I have a friend who has the Greek word tetelestai, uh, he never took Greek, but he has the Greek t- right there, tattooed, tetelestai, which means it is finished. It is finished. And the work of Christ is finished, right? There's nothing to add to that, nothing that we could add to the work of Christ redemptively, but there's a very real sense in which the work of Christ in the break-in only, only begun because it changed everything. It was the fulfillment of all of redemption history, creation, fall or the rebellion, the promise that a savior would come, the fulfillment that he came, fulfillment. And he did, he fulfilled everything to tell us it is finished, but it's only begun in the first century in a very real sense. The the work of Christ, although redemptively it's done, it's solid, there's nothing to add to it. His work now has consequences and the church of Jesus Christ is on the move. And so we're going to be looking at that in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is going to be one of those books that's going to drill us down to the work of Christ. We're going to ask questions like, what did Jesus really do? What, what is the gospel really? We're going to look at that. 
We're going to look at all kinds of controversial teachings that Paul brings up in Ephesians. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to rock some of your worlds. And, and, and we're going to ask the question, what is the church? What does it mean? What, what does that mean for us, Orangewood, as we look into the future? What does that mean? You hear so much today. So many people saying, people, fewer and fewer people are going to church. Uh, the gospel isn't really spreading that much in America. You hear that. I read it all the time. It's just not true. Don't believe it for a minute. The gospel of Jesus Christ is on the move worldwide. It's on the move here in Orlando, and it's on the move here at Orangewood. And it's going to continue to be that way. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating when we think of what Jesus said. What did he say? He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so in Ephesians, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking ahead. It's going to drill us down. It's going to get us more and more in alignment as a church with what Jesus wants to do in his church and through us. All right, what about today? Today, I want to do something that, um, that I've long wanted to do. You know, as a pastor for, well, since the time of the Apostle Paul, I, I, I have never preached on Psalm 23. I've read it a million times. And, and I've read it, I, I, I repeat it every day of my life, practically. I, I have, in fact, in my Bible, I realized one day, uh, not too long ago, I realized, I got a sermon here. I had split this thing up into four points. I say it every day. I say, the, I say the, the Psalm 23, but I also speak the sermon to myself. And I, hey, you know, this might preach. Would be a good idea, maybe, at the end of the year to share it. So that's what I want to do with you today. Uh, Psalm 23, David's favorite psalm of all time. If you don't even know Jesus Christ, you've heard of Psalm 23 because you've been to a funeral, right? Uh, uh, you've heard this. Uh, you were maybe made to memorize it when you were younger. David wrote it. David, King David, David was a type of Christ. Now that's a technical theological concept. We might say David was a prototype of Christ in that he carried carried forth in his life and in his ministry this, this really a, a prophetic word. He, he, was a prof, he was a king, number one, powerful. He was a leader. But he was also a, a prophetic king in that he gave truth, right? He gave truth. He was a teacher of the church, but he also had a priestly connotation to him as well. David, David had a priestly role as he le leads us into worship. I call him the rocker king. You know, I mean, this guy was amazing. He could kill a Philistine and write a song about it. I love that about David. And, and, and so the, the reality is, is he could lead us into worship. He was a type of Christ. Like, well, Moses was a type of Christ too. Way back, in a sense, in uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15, it says this, the Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. So in a sense, Moses looks ahead to David, and David looks ahead to Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the author of the Hebrews says, God has spoken to us in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us, who? How? In his son, Jesus. And so there's a very real sense in which in Psalm 23, what we see is David in the Old Testament experiencing the grace of God. Don't you believe it when people say there's two gods in the Bible. There's a God of the Old Testament and he's a God of judgment. 
And there's a God of the New Testament, and he's a God of grace. Don't you believe it? Grace fills the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And, and we see the grace of God that David came to understand and experience in his life. He experienced it as he looked ahead to Messiah. We can experience that grace too as we look back on Messiah. Uh, he has come. So Psalm 23 is a powerful psalm. And, uh, and I want to look at, unpack it for you. Four gifts of grace for a new year. Psalm 23. You probably have it memorized. Here it is in the ESV translation. I, I, I'm going to try and read it from the ESV. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell it to you how I know it, which is the King James. <laughs> Sorry. I, good news for 17th century man. I want you to know. But it's how I learned it the first time. Many of you know it with the these and the thous, and that's not so bad. Here it is. <clears throat> David, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a powerful text. Here it is. Uh, <clears throat> I realize that this sermon I ought to share with you. And if, if not, then if you don't like it, that's okay. You can go home and say, we heard Psalm 23 for the millionth time. But maybe there's something you can take away from this. In this psalm, I, I, you know, I, I find it astonishing. There's two, really, two major images of God in here, aren't there? There is the image of God as shepherd, and there's the image of God as host. Host. God as a shepherd of the people, and God uh, of the host of, of a meal. Are many, how many of you are glad? I want to know. How many of you, be honest, how many of you are glad Christmas is done? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you wish it was still going on? Okay, good, good. I didn't see any mom's hands go up on that. <clears throat> Some of you are so sick of hosting. I mean, feeding all these people that come and go and dirty your house. You're ready. You're ready for a clean house and an easier menu. You don't want to host anymore. But there's two major uh, images here of God as shepherd and God as host. And these images, both of them, would have been very familiar to the ancient Near Eastern people who often thought of their God as a shepherd, who often thought of their God as a host. These were not images that were, were foreign to the people of Israel because everybody around them sort of thought in these terms too. And so David, as he talks about God, first of all, talks about God as his shepherd. And you know this, the Lord is my shepherd. And the word Lord there in the original Hebrew is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name for God, the I am. Uh, often translated Jehovah in certain uh, translations of the Bible. But David says, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God. Think, think of this. When you think of creation, 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think of Elohim, the God who is supreme king of heaven and earth, who spoke and it was done. Out of nothing came something. Well, when you think of, when you think of Yahweh, think of the God who is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, tender-hearted God <clears throat> who calls Israel to be his people. The Lord, the Lord it's a, it is a softer connotation. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, who made covenant with us, is my shepherd, David says. And he understands that God is the God who looks tenderly toward his people, who says, you're mine. I chose you. I want you. I love you. And for some of you, that's difficult to grasp because you immediately connect with God, an earthly father experience that was not so warm. And so to think of God as the loving God is hard for you. I get that. I understand that. And yet this is the covenant idea that David got in, in, in his mind. <clears throat> as David took care of sheep, and we remember he was the bottom child. He was the bottom of the food chain in his family. And so the job of tending the sheep uh, got uh, taken care of, we, you know, passed on down the line till finally it was David. By the time he was ready to take over, David knew the ropes. His father, his brothers had taught him what it means to be a good shepherd, and, and he was doing it. But he, he spent a lot of time out in the, in the hot, clear Israel days, 100-degree temperatures. He also spent a lot of time out in the cold nights. You know, desert is something, is, is amazing. I grew up in Southern California, and, and that's the perfect... When I moved here to Florida, it was like, what? You walk out at 6 a.m. and it's hot. <laughs> the way it's supposed to be is you wake up nice, cool, ease into your day. Gets warmer, 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 hot, cool, cool, cool. That's how God ordained weather. <laughs> In Israel, David had the hot days. He had the cold nights. He, he had... He had all kinds of experiences out there, and, and he learned in the, in the midst of his wandering with sheep. Sure, he was with people sometimes, but a lot of times he was alone. And, and in the quietness and the aloneness of being out with the sheep, he experienced the closeness, the oneness of God. I, I believe that what David learned and what God did as, move, as he moved toward him was helped him understand and hear the still, small voice of God. As one thinker put it, uh, back then, uh, in that time period, slow was built into the culture. What's built into our culture? Fast. Fast and furious. And some of you like those movies. There's only about 34 of them out, Fast and Furious. <laughs> But, but slow was built into the culture, and he understood by hearing God's voice what God did, and that, that God was there, that God was shepherding him. One time, I was out west someplace, and I was, uh, I don't know, I, I was hiking, I think, and I came about, uh, uh, around a bunch of sheep that were in this pen out in the middle of nowhere. I didn't even know where I was, but I remember thinking, huh, I wonder if sheep are as dumb as everybody says they are. I see some heads going, yeah, they are. I picked up some pebbles, small ones, and I got closer and I was, you know, 
dinking them on the head. They just kind of go. It didn't hurt them. Those animal lovers here, that's okay. This was a test. I was doing this for sermonic purposes here. I, and, it was, and you know what? They kind of went. There's a sense in which sheep, almost themselves, they know they need to be led. They're not given the defensive weapons. They, they need to be pastured. They need water. They need food. They need to be protected from predators. And, and, and David learned all that out there. Uh, he, he, he made the connection as he was trying to be a good shepherd that God, in fact, was a good shepherd. That God had shepherded him well. That as he even looked back on his young life, he realized God was his shepherd and took care of him and led him. I think he learned to enjoy God and he shared this with us. I think David at some point woke up to this fact. I am well led. I think David woke up to the spiritual reality, this grace, as he thought about how God had shepherded him as he was trying to shepherd sheep, that I am a well-led man because God is gracious. God is kind. God is good. He loves me. It's a rough world. There's bears, lions and tigers and bears out there. And David fought at least two of those. There's cold, there's difficulty, there's enemies. I think David woke up one day and said, the grace of God in my life is I am well led. I want you to know this year as you go into 2019, there's going to be people that will want to lead you. They live at work. They live in advertising. They live in education. uh, They live in government. They live all around us and they want to lead you. They want to shepherd you. Culture has a way of leading us and discipling us. It really does want to lead us. And sometimes we want to lead ourselves too. I, I love John Mason's book, Your Enemy Called Average. Mediocrity might want to lead some of us. He defines mediocrity this way. He says, mediocrity is a region bounded on the north by compromise, on the south by indecision, on the east by past thinking, and on the west by a lack of vision. As we go into 2019, some of us are saying, I I really don't, whether you're a goal setter or not, it's not really the issue. The issue is who's shepherding you, who's leading you, because we are like sheep. I am. How did you feel? How did you feel when you say, when we, we clapped after we sang that song, oh, I need you. Did you feel it like I felt it? I, I need him. I need to be led. And so the reality is, as David would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, of course, because he takes care of us. He leads us. He provides what we need. God, catch this. God is not, God never gives us everything we want, but he almost always, well, he does, doesn't he? Give us what we and a lot of times when I realize, when I look back on my prayer list, I say, I wanted that. And God says, no, no, you really didn't. Because if you had gotten that, it would have messed things up for you. So I just cross that off. It's nice to cross things off your prayer list that you're praying for yourself, that you realize that's not going to be good for me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he leads us to the place. God is not so concerned for your money as he is for your soul. Now we've got a budget we've got to fill at the end of the year. So put that on the footnote. 
But God didn't want you busy all the time. He's, care, he's concerned for your soul because he shepherds you. And I love the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. You know, this, I woke up one day and I realized this is, this is a command and it's an important command. But the reality is it's not because God wants me just sitting around going like this. What do I do now? Can't watch technology. Can't watch a football game. God created football. Why can't I watch it? He wants us to rest because if he doesn't command rest, we won't. Because I trust my efforts more than I trust his. And that's why he says, slow down, slow down. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I love this. I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I came that they might have life and life abundantly and that it would be rich and full. I love that. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All right. Long first point. Some of you are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got three more. It's going to go okay. I'll get you out of here on time. David woke up and he said, I am well led. I love that. Personalize it. In faith, look back and say today as you look forward to 2019, I am well led. Own that for yourself. Own it for you. And look back and say, I have been well led. I didn't agree with necessarily everything that happened. I don't understand the purpose for everything that happened, but I've been well led. He's taking care of me. I'm in the palm of his hand. He's caring for me. Now, let's take it a step further. Let's make it plural. We have been well led. The Lord is not only David's shepherd, he's your shepherd if you have faith in Jesus Christ, but he's not only your individual shepherd, he is our shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, and he's led this church. He's not been surprised by anything that's happened. He knows where he's going to take it. He knows where he's going. We are well led. Would you say something after me? I know this just sounds weird, but would you say with me, I am well led? Ready? Go. I am well led. Now, would you say we are well led? One, two, three. We are well led. That's David's powerful truth that he gives us. I love that. I love that. So that's the first grace for 2019. The second grace is to understand something else that he says. He goes on in verse four. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Um, one time I was speaking at another PCA church and I was walking out of the pastor's office uh, where he bought, brought me to pray before we spoke to his men, hoping I wouldn't mess it up. And he had this, this wooden club about that long and another piece of wood about that long leaned against his bookshelf. I said, what's that? And he looked at me and he goes, the rod and the staff. Like you're a PCA minister. You ought to know these things. I go, the rod and the staff. Of course, the rod and the staff. Yeah. I'd never seen a club about this big with a thin handle and a big head called the rod. In fact, I've never seen David, the rod or the staff. I don't know. I think of the shepherd's crook, you know, 
you raised with those pictures of Jesus carrying the shepherd's crook where he pulls the sheep out of a hole. Or what. But I kind of like that idea of Jesus, of seeing the Father. Now, I like a calm God. Don't you like a calm God? A God I, I like a calm God. Because I'm amped up and I need a calm God. But I also kind of like a picture of a calm God standing there with a club in his robe. Jesus standing there. I love the idea of the love of God coupled with the power of God, ready to be unveiled at any time for me because I'm weak. That was in David's mind. Uh, to have a God like that. In Israel, there is a road up from Jericho uh, on the, uh, the Jordan River Valley Rift, deepest part of the world. And the road up to Jericho uh, up to Jerusalem is an uphill trip, and, and it's quite a, quite a hike. It's thought in those areas David pastured, pastured his sheep. And as he pastured his sheep out in that area, there's a valley. They pulled off the side of the road, and they said, you see down there? And I looked down there, there's a valley. Now, if you've been raised in Florida, you have no idea what a valley is. Um, and we have Mount Dora, but we have no valleys, as far as I know. And so you don't know what I'm talking about. But think of mountains and think of a deep crevasse in there. And there, I looked down there and he said, there's a monastery down there. I looked down there and sure enough, there was a monastery down in this dark valley. It's called the Valley of the Shadow. And even in the hot, sun, sunny days of Israel, it's almost always in the shadows. That's why they call it the Valley of the Shadow. And, and, and David understood that he, as he lived around and as he pastured his sheep, as he stayed out his night, as he dealt with the predators, as he thought about what was going on around him, that there are shadows, there's valleys, there are difficulties. We're all going to face in 2019. We faced them in 2018. It's going to come again. And, and, and I think David woke up one day and he looked, he said, not only am I well led, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I, I don't need to be afraid. Uh, day and night, you've taken care of me. We were with our grandkids last night, so if I'm, I appeared like I had a little bit too much coffee, it was because I was up with them last night. And we were with Maggie and our five-year-old uh, granddaughter, and she was talking about her night terrors and the night terrors she's had. She said, you know, when I was younger, I used to have night terrors. Oh, really? Really? How many did you have? She goes, 25. 25. I, I, you know, tw I had 25 bad dreams between one and five. And she, that's, she has a plan for my life. She knows everything. She's, and, and I was thinking about, she was telling stories about the big bad wolf. And then Karen and I were singing that song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Big Bad Wolf, Big Bad Wolf. Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? How does it end up? None of you know. Ha, 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 not me. I think one day David woke up and he said, I'm well led. And because I'm well led and because my God has a staff and a club, I'm not afraid. I don't need to be afraid. As we look to 2019, you don't need to be afraid. Fear will come up, but it, it cannot be the sustaining. It will not sustain you. It will only destroy you. You and I, as we look ahead, we can't live with it. It will destroy us. And we don't have to. That's why in the New Testament, be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's everywhere. And, and so we don't have to be afraid. In the, I love this. It, I just saw the new Mission Impossible movie for sermonic purposes so I could find illustrations. And I'm not encouraging you to watch that movie at all. But um, there's, this, there's this one scene where Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, is laying in a hospital bed all banged up. And, and he says, I'm sorry to one of the key players in the movie. And the, I'm sorry for leading you in all this. And she, and she says to him, she says, don't be sorry. My life is richer because of you because I can sleep at night. Because I know that you are always out there and always will be. And I love the line. It's just stupid to apply to a human being. <laughs> but we do have someone who is always out there for us. Always out there. So I want you to claim this. Now, get this straight. I, a Presbyterian minister has just asked you to name and claim a passage of Scripture. So I'm teaching name it, claim it here. I want you to name this. You don't have to be afraid as you live ahead in the coming year. I don't either. When fear arises, we can deal with it right away. We can go to the one who's got a club and a staff and is ready for us, right? So you can say, I'm not afraid. But, but Orangewood could say, we're not afraid. We, we have great elders. We got great staff. We got, a great, we got a great future, right? We're not afraid. Let's say it together. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. No, we don't have to be. That's the second gift for a new year. I am well-led. I am not afraid. The third one is I am victorious. Now, I love this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Uh, I wrote a book called, uh, what was the name of it? Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. And when I, we were talking with the publishers about what the title should be, that was their title, not mine. It's better than the one I came up with. So they help on those things. But they, they, I said, well, how, does, how do you do a title? They said, anything that leaves the word victorious out of it. And I said, huh. And I played the game because I wanted to get published. Of course, I have an authority problem. As soon as they said they don't want the word victorious in it, I wanted the word victorious in the title, but I went along. And, and, and really, I, I get it. I get it. They, they, were saying, they were saying that so many Christian books that are out there promise victory. Read this book and you will be victorious. You will never sin. You will never fail. You're, you'll get on control of all your addictions. How many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you have gotten over all sin, addictions, and negative, negative traits in your life in 2018? I know. I don't see one hand. No, it's not. Christianity didn't promise you're going to get total sanctification in this life. But it does promise victory even when we fail, doesn't it? That we can confess our sins and move on and even grow and we can move into Christ's likeness. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband than I used to be. Don't ask my wife all the other things that don't ask for specifics, but I'm better. Do I still have much to grow? Isn't it great that there is victory? We stay in the game with him, stay connected to him. Uh, we, we, will, we will gain victory. I, I think there was a time when Davis, when what happened here is, is that David just kind of woke up and he said, 
well, I'm a king. Look, look at what's happened around me. I'm well led. And I'm victorious. I, I, I love that. I think he woke up one day and said, what shall we say to these things? Well, in Paul's words, if God is for us, who could be against us? And the answer to that is no one, nothing. Because we're sheep, but we are well led. I am well led. I am not victorious. I am not afraid. I am victorious. And it all comes down to verse six. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you realize what a positive Psalm this is? He's saying, I am confident. I am well led. I am not afraid. I am victorious. I am confident all by the grace of God. And, and those are four gifts of grace that I think we could take it. That's what I preach to myself every day. I wake up, I go, because of Jesus, my life is completely different because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because of the work of what he accomplished on the cross for me. I am well led. I don't have to be afraid. I'm not afraid. When I think about it, when I put it into perspective, I'm not afraid. I'm victorious, even when I fail, because I can be forgiven and move ahead and grow. And I'm confident. This is where confidence comes from. It comes from grace. Grace energizes every positive trait in the Christian life as we go back to the gospel and allow God's grace. Grace, by the way, is receiving what you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite. And in Christ, we don't deserve anything, but we've gotten everything. So Jesus would say, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. For we're not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, no, Lord, I don't. Where are you going? He said, I'm the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. We're on a journey. End of a year, you look back and you give it to the Lord. I don't know if you're a goal setter, or a problem solver, Bob Beale once said, uh, stop setting goals if you'd rather solve problems. I don't care, but you got to look ahead because mediocrity is not where you want to be. You want to keep growing. We want to keep growing. And as a church, we say, we are well-led. We are not afraid. We are victorious. We are confident. Can we say that together? One, two, three. We are confident, not in ourselves but in Jesus, who is the head of this church. And so if you don't know him and somehow you got in here today, somebody brought you in the last sermon of the year and you don't know Jesus, we invite you to him because he's the best gift we could give you for the new year. We sang about blood. We sang about righteousness. We needed his blood to cancel out our sin. We need his righteousness to make us acceptable to God. We invite you to embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord, as you look ahead, that you could have this kind of confidence. And if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, I invite you to preach to yourself these four points. Preach a four-point sermon to yourself every morning as you get up. 
what I call your daily appointment with God, get your holy cup of coffee or whatever your caffeine delivery system is. Go back to your desk or table, read some scripture and think about Psalm 23. Because he loves it when his people keep in their mind. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. And then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray that for me, at least. If you will, I'll pray for you. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the, the elders, the deacons, the staff, the moms, the dads, the students. I thank you for the missionaries. I thank you for the school, the school teachers who teach not only at Orangewood Christian School, but at other Christian schools in our community. I thank you for how you have placed Orangewood here strategically where we are at this important crossroads. And that because of the gospel, you've changed our lives and given us hope. And I pray that as we think about the year to come, we would look to you and that you would give us that great hope. Fill us with all joy and peace in believing you. Do a great work in Orangewood, in each one of us. And we pray these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.